but if we look at purely the energy consumption, then if Ethereum were to migrate, they could save 99.95% of their entire energy consumption. Hi, and welcome to the Financial Fox, investing and innovation ideas with a twist. I'm your host, Steffi B, and in this episode, I will be joined by Alex De Vries, data scientist and founder of GDigiconomics, a platform that is dedicated to exposing the unintended consequences of digital trends, typically from an economic perspective. So there is a lot to cover here. Uh, I want to talk about the challenges that cryptocurrency are posing to the current establishment in terms of energy generation. So we are going to talk about proof of work versus proof of stake, Bitcoin. Uh, we are going to talk about the real impact actually that those these crypto transactions are having. So it's going to be a very interesting conversation. And we are have a session about NFTs and fashion as well. So stay tuned. And if you think that I haven't covered something that is important, then get in touch with me at steffi at financialfox.news. I would say that people shouldn't be discouraged about very high carbon footprints associated with NFT because if it if it's not solved yet, it will be solved pretty soon. But before we go into the episode, I want to talk to you about my new crypto web domain name, financialfox.crypto, which I got it from Unstoppable Domains that is creating a new generation of web domains, which are actually domain names on a blockchain that you buy once and you don't have to worry about renewable fees anymore because they are your forever. They are decentralized, so no one can act them. And also because they are effectively domain NFTs, you can trade them if you identify you know, a domain name that you think in the future you can resell it for more money because you know, the decentralized web is going to take over the internet. And the cool things, which I really like, is that they make crypto payments so easy because you add your wallet to your web crypto domain address and voila, when you need to get paid, you just just give your domain name and the money come directly into your wallet. So if you're interested, go to Unstoppable Domain using the link in the description, which is going to help also support our channel. And if you want to help a bit more because you like the content that we are doing, then make a donation in Ethereum, Bitcoin or USDC to financialfox.crypto. Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Great. So um, very excited to talk to you. We, we are going to unlock the myths and facts of energy consumption for technology. And let's start with crypto. Is Bitcoin consuming too much energy to be sustainable? Yes, yeah, so I think to answer this question, we first have to look into a bit of the basics and, you know, by or at least trying to keep things as simple as possible, but to at least understand why Bitcoin consumes so much energy, huh? because ultimately this system is built on a technology that is known as proof of work mining. And that's where the energy consumption is. It's a technical term. Well, what does it really mean? Well, in, 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 in essence, Bitcoin is money. Hey, it's peer-to-peer -peer money. It's money where no government or authority is in charge. And it's an open network where anyone can join in maintaining the system. And anyone can help in creating new blocks of transactions for the underlying Bitcoin blockchain technology. 
Bitcoin has a limit in the sense that there will never be more than 21 million coins. And over time, they are provided as an incentive to anyone that participates in this process of maintaining the system, processing new transactions, except that it's not an easy process. Hey, you can't just make uh, a new block for the blockchain and get the reward. It's not an easy task. It's actually made purposely very difficult to do so. And that's where uh, mining comes in. So in order to make these new blocks for the Bitcoin blockchain, people have to run their computer hardware to, uh, to participate in what is kind of a game of guess the number. And only if you guess correctly, then you get to create the next block for the Bitcoin blockchain. And now the energy consumption is where these machines and there's millions of machines around the world about three million devices all around the world are making these guesses and they're making more than 140 quintillion guesses every second of the day non-stop that's where the energy consumption is to produce all those guesses so in the, in the case of bitcoin we're talking about as much electrical energy as a, a country like Argentina is consuming. And then, of course, you also have uh, Ethereum, had the second largest cryptocurrency of the moment, which is doing about half of that number. So together, they are now, all those machines running in the background are consuming as much electrical energy as all data centers in the world combined. Right, that's, that seems scary. Uh, but then basically what we said is that uh, energy consumption is a feature, not a bug uh, of uh, uh, crypto, the way the cryptocurrency specifically uh, proof of work uh, works, actually. Yes, it's a feature uh, in the sense that it provides security. Hey, exactly, if exactly. You to, uh, if you want to attack this network and somehow, if you want to manipulate it, you need to somehow get a majority of all this computational power in the network, uh, which means that you also have to spend more on resources than everyone currently in the network. So it's making it expensive to attack the network. That's the uh, function of it. Yeah, but in a way, if we are comparing that, and this is something that I think you know people have always to um, bear in mind is that if we are comparing the current banking and financial system i mean there are a lot of resources used there a lot of energy that is consumed uh, not by a blockchain but you know by anything that makes the all the system work i mean that is probably bigger environmental impact than a cryptocurrency it's hard to say, and also because in the case of Bitcoin, we look specifically at the mining. So let's say Bitcoin's data centers, and there's also an ecosystem built around Bitcoin yeah. where you have people with, with, with well, for example, crypto exchanges and other parties involved that have offices and have people. Uh, but if you look only at the data, the data centers, which is the mining, then those miners are consuming more or as much energy as all of the world's data centers combined. So uh, in, in a sense, it may be somewhat comparable to each other, at least if you look at it on a purely data center level, because uh, in the end, uh, the data centers that support traditional finance are among all those other data centers as well. Um, of course, the, the real difference, and it's, it's, it's hard to compare you know, these currencies with anything, eh? because we can, of course, look at the banking system. But the banking system does not allow you to uh, do 
well, uh, uh, NFTs, which we will get to. Uh, exactly. Well, we, we are going to talk a bit later. So now, um, there aren't just, uh, you know, currency on a proof of work. We have got, for instance, Cardano, that is proof of stake. Ethereum is moving to proof of stake. So uh, let's talk a bit about proof of stake, energy consumption there, and uh, some comparison uh, with proof of work, how much energy is safe? Yes. yes, yeah. So proof of work coins need a lot of energy. They're very energy hungry, but you don't necessarily need to have a cryptocurrency running on this proof of work mining. Uh, there's alternatives like uh, you mentioned, uh, Cardano. There's others that are running something known as proof of stake. And actually Ethereum is working on implementing proof of stake, replacing their proof of work algorithm. And if they were to succeed, it changes something really important, which is that in proof of stake, you don't need highly specialized energy consuming hardware because you, you still have that sort of lottery process going on in the background here for people to be selected to create new blocks in the blockchain. But in, in, in you know, proof of work systems, your chance of winning then depends on how much computational power you have and the more machines you have, the bigger your chance of winning. In proof of stake based system, it's all based on wealth, like how much, for example, if Ether moves to proof of stake, how much Ether do you have? And then you're going to stake that. And the only thing you need for that is a computer with an internet connection. It's a completely different system which also has a different security profile. We, we should know that it's not just about the energy consumption, but if we look at purely the energy consumption, then if Ethereum were to migrate, they could save 99.95% of their entire energy consumption. So if they eliminate the guess the number game, they won't need energy consuming machines to do that anymore then yeah you get rid of most of the energy consumption and then almost nothing's left so you can you can do this on on cryptocurrencies uh, uh, many are already doing it and ethereum is planning to do it so in that sense uh, it's it's good news for anyone that's at least involved in um, you know anything well most of uh, platforms nowadays they build on top of ethereum so at least for those people it's it's good news that ethereum is planning to make this change but for now it's still running on the same as bitcoin and this is a good news for all the uh, crypto ecosystem because that's basically the solution to minimize carbon footprint Yes, yes. Yeah, well, you like I said, if you get rid of 99.95% of the energy consumption, you also get rid of the... Quite compelling. Yes, and also you don't have the electronic uh, waste associated because, of course, those specialized machines, they don't, they cannot be repurposed. Eh? The ones that you use for Bitcoin mining, you won't need... You, you, you can't prove for stake-based systems, you just need a computer and that's it. Uh, you can use it for anything else. You can use your phone. You can use uh, another machine. It doesn't matter. Okay. So let's now just, uh, because we clarified that, which is, was quite important for everybody to have a little bit of context, we are going to deep dive into the world of NFTs, which have been making headlines. There was, uh, you know, a big hype earlier on this year. Now it's come back. And, you know, NFTs are making their headlines basically every day. Yes. And uh, it's not just about, you know, NFTs is cool, is a trend. Uh, it's just cool now. Uh, it is really a fundamental change in the sense of digital ownership 
and also use case of utilities of NFTs. And I would like to talk about fashion. Uh, I'm a fashionista. I'm a proponent of uh, technology integration in fashion. And, and I think the future of fashion is really into the metaverse and unlocking the value of uh, NFTs. So I want to have um, you know, a conversation with you about that just to kind of uh, take some facts, uh, some data, and also take, take down some myth as well on, um, you know, the concept of digital fashion and NFTs. So yeah. now we are running on Ethereum. M most of the projects out there, they are running on Ethereum, which is proof of work. So that is not good for what we discussed earlier on. So when there are projects they, they are saying, or there are technology crypto proponents say, oh, well, actually going into NFTs, you are gonna uh, have uh, a more um, sustainable business and you are gonna um, save energy, you are gonna consume less uh, CO2 and stuff like that. Um, is that true? Well, you know, in, in, when you look at digital fashion, I think the core idea there is that uh, hey, you have now an Instagram uh, generation where people take a picture of themselves, they want to look nice, they put it on Instagram, and then whatever they are wearing, uh, they never wear it again. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a one-time only outfit, which does take, uh, does have quite a footprint to produce, like just a simple t-shirt can have a carbon footprint of 10 kilograms, and the depending on the material you use. So uh, if you're just going to use it item once, make a nice picture, put it on Instagram and you're done with it, that is a bit of a waste. So uh, what I think digital fashion is trying to achieve is that, you know, in, in the end, we still need clothes on our body every day, but it's for this specific situation where people, you know, want to maybe show off. Uh, they can have, you know, their pictures sent to uh, the people that generate uh, this digital fashion. And well, what happens is they get a digital dress or some other piece of clothing Photoshop on top of it, and they can put that on their Instagram. And then there's no need to buy a real piece of clothing for that. And of course, if you do it, then the, the, the carbon footprint of that is going to be extremely low. Uh, it's just a digital uh, dress. Of course, you need to run a computer to make it, but it's going to be very minimal compared to you know making an actual dress from uh, real materials. So in that sense, it could contribute to reducing the overall footprint of the clothing industry, which is which is massive, by the way. Clothing is definitely responsible for a gigantic carbon footprint. Exactly. And, and I think it's not something that is talked about a lot because uh, the movement of fast fashion is creating an amount of production that was immense. It was huge. And as you said, it was not really used. It was not really worn enough. Uh, and fashion, and there was this bad or dark side of fashion that it wasn't a real fashion. It was like more like industrial production or something just to use once. I mean, uh, it's kind of like... I'm I'm not really a big fan of Primark. I think yes. you know, having clothes, they um, they're just going to be worn once, and then the, the, the quality is not able to sustain two washes. So that's kind of like um, yeah. it's, it's really bad. 
Yes, well, just just to compare, the the, the the Bitcoin and Ethereum combined may be responsible for half a percent of our global emissions, but the clothing industry is responsible for probably up to 10% wow. of global emissions. So a, a gigantic proportion of our total carbon footprint is ultimately related to uh, <laughs> to clothing. And then it's it's really amazing to have people think about ways to, you know, uh, do something else than fast fashion had tried to to make it digital, uh, have people wear outfits longer. And if they need something special, we're going to give them a digital product instead, which has a much lower footprint. So the idea is really nice. Um, but then, of course, uh, and, and by the way, for this idea, you don't necessarily need to launch uh, an NFT. Hey? It's, it's, it's something you can sell on a website and people will Photoshop it on top of you. But you can also monetize it better if you make an NFT for it. Exactly. Well, I think where the NFT comes very useful is uh, to verify the ownership, because one of the problems, especially for big brands, is uh, definitely verification, authentication of the brand. There is no counterfeit, so uh, which there are there are quite a few of these, uh, um, you know, companies and people creating something that is not real and then reselling, pretending that it was uh, it was the one. So I think this is where NFT comes in and brings. Uh, a really a really uh, big value uh, obviously just wear it for, a, for for probably a picture or maybe to hang out in the metaverse um, maybe um, yeah it's not really you know the point of like like um, authenticity and on the is not the main one but um yeah so currently the the, the current footprint of an nft do you have any data on that Yes, we can estimate that. And uh, with NFTs, it's always a bit tricky because uh, in, in co contrary to a real piece of clothing, the footprint of an NFT doesn't really stop uh, in the sense that it will continue to exist on the blockchain and people can trade it on the blockchain, sell it again in the future. So it's never really finished. Whereas a real piece of clothing, you wear it and then once you're done with it, you well, you discard it and may get a new life. But uh, hey, there, there are different different profiles. But let's let's do something very big because I made a comparison between or or I made or I did a calculation for a very basic uh, NFT digital uh, dress a while yeah. back. And the thing is that just putting something on the blockchain, just putting a dress or a, well, something, any piece of clothing on top of the blockchain a while ago had a carbon footprint of more than 200 uh, grams of carbon. And why is that so high? Because the carbon footprint, we, 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 we determined that based off the proportional share of that NFT on top of the system that it is built. So if you put your NFT on top of Ethereum, Ethereum has a large footprint, then we take the share of the activity that your NFT accounts for as the carbon footprint of that NFT. And that can be massive. That's why you know these numbers can get really big because ultimately the amount of activity on these networks is limited. And the, the Ethereum network doesn't really scale well. So if you put something on there, it's usually uh, relatively big compared to everything that's going on. Um, and yeah, then it can get a carbon footprint of well several hundreds of kilograms. So the dress I examined was uh, the head had a few bits. It was uh, uh, 
sold once. Um, but I think if you added all the activity together, it had a carbon footprint of around 600 uh, kilograms of carbon for for now. Okay? In the future, people can maybe sell it again and then it would run up. But that is 60 times more than a, a real T-shirt. Uh, so uh, it's, it's not that the actual item had a digital dress is uh, so carbon intensive to make, but it's the fact that it's running on a proof of work based system that makes it so carbon intensive. And that's the, the thing people often miss. And so if you move to a proof of stake, let's say uh, the same NFT minting is done on Cardano, it will be 99% less. Yes, yes. In Cardano, you don't have this uh, issue at all. Then you actually save uh, hey, in terms of carbon footprint. Hey, you can just reduce it by 99.95%. Yeah. Uh, Cardano is also a lot smaller, by the way, than uh than, than Ethereum, so less nodes, you would have to do the calculation specifically for Cardano. So I'm assuming it's 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 even higher than 99.95 percent. Wow. Okay. Right. So so basically, the, the the opportunity to make something that isn't so um, energy um, intensive is possible, um, and is great. I. I'm, I'm actually thinking, you know, one of the other things that are quite important for uh, when it comes to fashion is, um, you know, when, when you have a T-shirt, then you have to, the t nobody wants the T-shirt anymore. And even let's say that you, uh, you resell the T-shirt, you get to a point where all these garments, they, has, they have to be um, disposed of, right? Yeah. And I think this kind of space that is, is occupied by landfill and, uh, you know, yeah. the, the, the actual um, items that they are not used anymore, they are waste. That's a big uh, um, problem that actually cryptocurrency and digital fashion can solve. Yes, yeah, indeed. You have, when, when we talk about the carbon footprint of clothing, you don't have it. We are just talking about a carbon footprint and there is a waste element as well. So yes. it's, not, it's, not, it's not just uh, the, the, the carbon footprint. I, I, I also read that you know, the, the clothing industry is responsible for nearly 20% of wastewater. Exactly, because it's not just creating it. Yes. Then, then, you know, then when it gets to the end, you, know, you can send it to you know, in Indonesia or India and get other people to use it, but at some point you get to, you know, you you just, it's not wearable anymore. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's, that those are all things yeah, that you can actually address with, with digital fashion. And, you know, I, I do think there is a limit to the extent that people will still want to have some clothes on their body during the day, but they might be able to, you know, if, if you have a digital uh, item, uh, if you want to look nice on your pictures, then you, you don't have to dress up for that anymore. It's exactly. And, uh, you know, coming back to the waste, I mean, nowadays, uh, uh, obviously, technology has improved a lot where you can actually make clothes uh, using recycled material. Um, and that is something great, but it's still going to consume a lot of energy as well. Yes. So of course, yeah, it's never it's never really free to make anything, and of course, you know, if you if you want to be really specific, if if you want to 
completely calculate the footprint of a digital dress, you also need to consider like uh, the, how long is the person taking on a computer to, to actually generate the, the whole thing. And, you know, is there any travel involved? Well, probably not because it can be done on a computer. It can be done yeah. remotely. But uh, but still, you know, if you, even if you include that running a computer, a regular computer, which is not, uh, you know, a Bitcoin miner consuming a whole lot of energy for uh, <laughs> unlimited amounts of time, yeah, then uh, that, that footprint will also always be a lot smaller uh, than uh, what it, it, it's really simple. Hey, you, you just you only need to create a digital product. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I'm really convinced uh, is that the, our future is going to be the metaverse. And that's where the opportunity for fashion brand is, in a way, with the new generation that likes to hang out uh, in places like, you know, Sandbox, the Central Land, and, you know, other metaverses, Sansa, for example, and many others, uh, uh, maybe Facebook that is coming very soon. So I think this is where, you know, we can maybe have a specific digital collection that express our personality. Um, and, uh, you know, it gives uh, to us uh, a different kind of uh, opportunity to utilize uh, fashion in a more creative way as well, rather than just, uh, uh, you know, doing in the physical world where there are more limitations, definitely. Yes, and I, I would recommend that people that want to get into this uh, well, you should be aware, like if you want to make an, an NFT, if you're going to do that on Ethereum, it's going to have a very high carbon footprint, but you should not let that stop you from getting involved into this. Well, first of all, Ethereum is moving to proof of stake. Yeah. Secondly, you already have proof of stake based alternatives. Uh, so if you really want, you can already maybe try using an alternative or, you know, just wait several more months until Ethereum launches their uh, proof of stake. And then the problem is also solved. They're the biggest platform for this kind of stuff. But uh, I would say that people shouldn't be discouraged about very high carbon footprints associated with NFT, because if, it, if it's not solved yet, it will be solved pretty soon. Very soon. Exactly. The computer at the beginning, they were massive. And now, you know, they are just microscopics. I mean. <laughs> they're just very very uh, small so if you have a message to say to tell brands uh, about getting into digital fashion what would you say well i think it's definitely something that is worth exploring because i had as, as mentioned before the carbon footprint of the clothing industry is massive uh, if we can we can probably not not reduce the entire footprint to zero uh, with just digital fashion but you know and anything helps if you read the latest ipcc report uh, they put together a new report on climate change and they said everything every ton of co2 matters uh yeah if, if from that perspective anything we can do to reduce our total footprint in some way uh if that's with digital fashion then that's something with uh, worth exploring and of course we need to make sure that we do it in the right way and don't accidentally make it make it bigger but i think there's an opportunity here as well to you know at least have a positive contribution to the environment Exactly, exactly. Make something for the world. Um, many brands uh, 
you know, they have the slogan, save the planet and stuff like that, be more sustainable. Uh, and definitely technology has got something to offer. So Alex, uh, a bit about uh, what you do. You run uh, Digiconomics, which uh, uh, go deeper into this issue about, um, you know, environmental impact of technology and, and obviously payments are a big part of that as well. What got you into this project? Well, I started researching this back in 2015. And the reason I started was because I read an article myself, which was on uh, Motherboard. And the article was titled, I think, Bitcoin isn't sustainable. And the article said a single Bitcoin transaction has the same energy footprint as a U.S. household, average U.S. household for one and a half days. And I thought when I read that for the first time, like, okay, that's a, a massive number for a single transaction. And if you take a regular transaction in the traditional financial system, we're talking not, if you would make the same comparison, we would be talking seconds rather than one and a half days. Um, and it made me wonder, okay, uh, where can I find more information on this? Because I want to know, wanted to know more. And then I couldn't find any. So I looked around and I noticed that some people did some work on it, but most most people were just not well not paying attention to this and um even even worse is that if you are a user of this system so for example you're a bitcoin user then you never get those you never get to see those statistics because you're not the one that's paying for electricity it's always the ones that are doing the whole mining process in the background that are the ones paying for the electricity and they get subsidized by the software and they get a fixed reward for what they do but if you're a user you just don't see it so i thought like okay you know what i'm gonna launch uh first of all the bitcoin energy consumption index and later the ethereum energy consumption index to provide uh, a level of transparency to you know how much energy is is going around in the system and uh, especially as the value of these systems goes up because ultimately and these miners are paid in the native currency of their uh, uh, blockchain. So if you're mining Bitcoin, you get paid in Bitcoin. Very simple. But if the price of Bitcoin goes up, it means that your income goes up. But that also leads to miners spending more on resource. They will acquire more hardware and they will, make, they will consume more energy. And especially this year, the price of both Ethereum and Bitcoin has, re has hit record high. So these miners are making more money than ever, but now they're also spending more on resources than ever before. And, and again, the whole purpose of my energy index is to make that transparent. So allow people to see the trends and you know just be aware that this is going on and you know maybe well, they can they can do whatever they want based on that information. Hey, if you you can think like okay, I'm going to use a more energy efficient system, uh, but it can also be a motivation. Hey, in in Ethereum, especially the developers pre previously referred to my work and they were like, yeah, well, if hey, if this is going to be our legacy, we're not going to be happy. So, uh, and they, that's why they're also working hard to turn the system to proof of stake. So in that sense, it's also a motivation to do something about it. Tell me a bit about the tools you use. How do you calculate these, uh, uh, you know, energy consumption data? 
Yes, well, there's multiple ways to do it. And, you know, I have a methodology and the, the alternative is provided by Cambridge. They nowadays also have uh, a Bitcoin energy consumption index, not Ethereum. But, you know, in the end, uh, we are taking public information. Uh, it depends on which source you're using. I'm looking at what is being earned by these miners, how much are they spending on electricity, and how much uh, electricity does that translate to. In the case of Cambridge, they're looking at how much computational power is in the network. And then, you know, they guess what is going to be the average efficiency of the machines in the network, and they make a calculation based on that. And if you put the two next to each other, sometimes there will be differences, but on the whole, they have the same trend and they are pretty much in the same order of magnitude in terms of impact. So it doesn't really, yeah, it matters, but it doesn't matter that much. Um, there is no such thing as a perfect estimate. So in both cases, they're estimates. Uh, but of course, uh, we also have a way to, uh, to determine a minimum number, like uh, uh, in the end, people have, uh, th there's a limit to the efficiency in the network in the sense that there is a certain type of machine out there that is simply the best at doing the mining. And, you know, even if we assume that everyone is using that system, um, yeah, that will give us a, a certain minimum footprint for Ethereum and Bitcoin mining. And that's also featured on my blog. So if you look on the Bitcoin Energy Consumption Index, you will see two lines. The first is one that I just described. And the other one is a minimum number, which is probably a third of the uh, former number, uh, which represents the absolute minimum. And of course, you have to, people have to realize it's not realistic to just look at the minimum. But in the end, I think this indicates that we have a pretty good idea about where the energy consumption of this network really is. And, and I think the real discussion nowadays is where is that energy consumption uh, being sourced from? How, what is generating? that energy that is a very hot debate and it's complicated because we cannot see who is participating in this network uh, cambridge found a way to visualize it uh, they asked mining pools where people join their computational power like can you share your data with us can you share the ip addresses of your uh, miners and some pools did that, but only a third of the network. And based on that, Cambridge made a mining map that showed that, uh, well, up until recently, a majority of this network was located in China, but that's already outdated information because China yeah. just banned uh, all cryptocurrency mining, and now we don't really know at the moment. <laughs> well, but this is one of the things uh, after the shutdown of mining in China is that, um, you know, other mining operation in the West, particularly, are you using renewable energy. Is that fair to say that using solar and other renewable energy, you can basically create a more healthy um, crypto mining ecosystem? Well, the, the, the thing that's the problem with renewables is that they're intermittent energy sources to some extent. And uh, if you want to run your miners on solar energy, for example, you need to shut down your machines for half the day uh, unless you're using very expensive batteries. But um, in, in a lot of cases, that's just not going to be worth it. And it's just going to be more profitable to run your machines on an, on an energy source that is constantly available and cheap and uh, miners. The people often misunderstand that 
miners don't just look for cheap energy. Of course, renewable energy can be cheap, but it has a bit of a consistency issue, and especially solar energy during the day, it fluctuates a lot. Uh, but also hydropower that these miners used a lot in China fluctuates seasonally. There's a lot of it during the rain season, but very little in the dry, dry season. So it's, it's complicated to really make this work uh, with renewables. But of course, if miners are, for example, in Texas, yeah, then they are connected to the regular grid. And on the regular grid, you always have a mix of energy. So there is a big part of the natural, the, the, the energy in Texas is natural gas, but of course, they also have wind energy and solar energy on top of that. So of course, there is renewables in this energy mix. And we have to see, how it's, it's probably too early to tell where all these miners have ended up because we still see that the network hash rate is uh, recovering. It's not at the level where it was before China banned uh, Bitcoin mining, but once it has completely recovered, uh, we can look at this network again and see how the distribution has changed and what that then means in terms of uh, well, uh, fossil fuels or renewables. But uh, it's, it's, it's kind of too early to make a definite statement on that. Do you think that companies, businesses uh, should actually um, incorporate uh, data about their carbon footprint as uh, something, you know, as, as part of their transparency policy? Uh, well, we, we do see that happening already, even in the Bitcoin space. Uh, Ge uh, Gemini, uh, one of the larger Bitcoin exchanges, recently launched uh, Gemini Green, where they try to offset uh, the carbon footprint of what they're doing. So that, first of all, means that they have to measure uh, their carbon footprint. And then uh, they uh, decided to try and offset that. And carbon offsets means you are buying some product, for example, uh, saving a rainforest somewhere in the world that ultimately helps capturing carbon emissions. Uh, it depends, of course, on what kind of project you pick. But the whole purpose of carbon offsetting is to you know, invest your money into something that neutralizes the, um, the carbon footprint of your your activities. So I think that is a development that has shows that in even in, in, in the Bitcoin ecosystem, people are becoming aware about this, they're upping their disclosure and they're trying to actively uh, do something about it. So yeah, this is definitely a very recent trend that we have seen in the past months. Okay, well, uh, I think it's something that going forward will become more and more uh, important, valuable for all the planets. So it might be something that actually uh, businesses have to, rather they can do to show, uh, to show off, you know, they, their effort. Uh, well, listen, it was great to chat with you and to kind of discuss this very important issue, particularly for the NFT and digital fashion, which, uh, you know, are important points to clarify because everybody, you know, is jumping into the NFT, um, you know, craze. And, and those are things that are very important, particularly for fashion brands uh, to reflect on. So yes. thank you so much for coming and sharing your views. Very welcome. Okay, we arrived at the end of the interview. 
If uh, you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, click the subscribe button and follow us on social media to stay up to date with our news and interviews. And if you find our content interesting, then add also a comment below. That will be great. And if you want to get in touch with me, please do via Twitter or send me an email at steffi at financialfox.news. I'll see you next time.